Man, it's good to see you here. I'm glad to be here, and I want to tell you thank you. Uh, as a church family, I just want you to know how grateful I am that you have afforded me the opportunity, and I'm grateful to our staff team for what they do to afford me the opportunity of taking a yearly study leave. And that study leave is an opportunity for me to step out of the normal routine of leadership, preaching, and teaching, and instead focus on the big picture of leadership, preaching, and teaching, and look towards the next year of ministry here. And so I was able to, over the last month, just think about and plan and prepare for the next year of leadership, preaching, and teaching in our church family. And I can tell you, it was a huge blessing to me. And so I just want to thank you for affording me that opportunity. And I'm excited to be back. I'm thrilled to be with you. I want to recount with you a few of the things we've talked about over the last four to five weeks. The last time I was here preaching we walk through Joshua chapter 3 and 4. And that's the passage that recounts the crossing of the Jordan River and the setting up of some memorial stones. And if you remember, the, the Israelites were to set up these memorial stones so that when they walked by those stones, that uh, the, the kids would ask the parents, hey, why are these rocks here? And the parents could tell the kids, hey, I want you to hear what God did in bringing us across the Jordan on dry ground right here. And he gave us the land he promised our fathers generations ago. See, God had a concern that the next generations would hear about who he is and what he's done so that they would follow him. But his concern extended beyond the next generations to the nations. He wanted this to be a memorial not just to the next generations, but to the world that God is who he said he is and he's worth following. So God wanted his people to set up that memorial so those things would happen. Now, after we talked about that, our family pastor, Brett Levi, talked about being outposts for the gospel, making disciples right where we live as we go in our daily life. And living as an outpost for the gospel where we live, where we work. So that when we gather as a church family, something happens with us. And we go into where we live and we demonstrate what happened to us because we're God's people. And we just help people find God and follow him. That's why we exist as a church family. To love God, to love people, and to help others do the same. We want people to find God and follow him as we're finding him and following him right where we live. And so we got to talk about having this family discipleship plan where individuals and families in our church family could use the rhythms and seasons of their life to create some routines and rituals that would put us in a position of finding God regularly as a family, as individuals, as a church family, and deciding to follow Him in such a way that we're ready to help others do the same right where we live, right when we live. And then Pastor Chad Warren, he talked to us about the fact that there was a family many, many years ago whom God chose and said, I want your family to be a best blessing to all the families on the face of the earth. And we can trace that promise all the way down to the church and that the church is a special family that has been rescued by Jesus Christ as God's people to be set apart special in the place in which they reside so everybody would see the church and say, what is is the story of this people. And through seeing the church live as the church, recognizing who Christ is, and coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and receiving the most amazing blessing ever offered by God Himself. Salvation. 
So we are set up as memorial right here in Wilco as a church family to create a stir in the community because every church that's getting ready for the return of Christ, I mean, that's our mandate. Get ready for Christ to return because he's coming and he wants to find his bride ready. So we're under a mandate to be ready for the return of Christ. And a church that's ready for the return of Christ is a church that's trying to help other people right where the church resides find Christ and follow him. I'm convinced that a church that is striving to be ready for the return of Christ makes everything in the community in which it is placed better. The community is better. The commerce is better, the economy is better, the schools are better, the families are better. Everything is better when the church is striving to be ready for the return of Christ. And that's who we're trying to be here. I'm excited that as we step into this next 50 years of FBG's history making, that we're walking through Joshua. And here we find ourselves today at Joshua chapter 5. And so I want to read to you, and uh, hopefully you'll read along with me, Joshua chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So if you're ready to follow along with me, we're going to start with just verse 1. When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan to the west, and all the Canaanite kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, They lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. That's important to remember when we read this next section. That the courage of the enemies of Israel has failed. If God had not worked in such a way that the enemies of Israel were terrified of them such that they would not take one step closer to them. God's unorthodox final preparations for the impending battle would have put them in a precarious position. So when we read the rest, you're going to realize why it's so important that everybody around them is terrified and won't come close to them. All right, so let's read verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. Just for clarity, this is not round two for these guys. That's just referencing the circumstances that have required circumcision to be restarted. And it's going to describe it right here. So you're going to follow along with that. All right? Verse verse 3. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at Gibeath Haraloth. That name that they've given the place at this time, if you translate Gibeath Haraloth, means Hill of foreskins. I'm just reading the Bible. All right? I can't help it. Verse 4. Guess what we talked about today? Yeah. All right, verse 4. You got to get past the awkward in the room. I don't know how else to do it, but just to say it. All right, verse 4. There, this is the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they'd come out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until all the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt had died off. 
because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land he had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. He raised up their sons in their place. It was these Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, that place is still called Gilgal today. Notice a new name. He's he's essentially renamed the place, Hill of Foreskins, the name Gilgal, which Gilgal is a play on words. If I read this in the original language, when you heard the word rolled away, it would sound very much like the word Gilgal. And so he's basically saying, I've rolled away your disgrace. And they're saying, we're going to name this place rolled away. And what it really means, this word Gilgal, is freedom. And so you're seeing a transition where they're naming a place, the Hill of Foreskins. This is the place where humiliation happened. This is the place where pain happened. This is the place where we found ourselves in a situation we did not prefer. And God used that and he changed it into a place we now call freedom. Isn't that the path of grace? I mean, how many times does God take something in our lives that has created humiliation and pain, circumstances that we wouldn't necessarily prefer, and he has transformed that experience to now, as we look back on it, a place we call freedom. And the reason he does that is because that kind of humiliation and pain results in humility and dependence. Now think about the army of Israel right now. They're fixing to go into battle. They're fixing to, to tackle Jericho. And here's God's final preparations. I know battle's coming. And here's how I want you to get prepared for it. Circumcise all the warriors. That's a little unorthodox. That seems a little strange to get prepared. But here's what it does. For every person headed into battle, in that moment, they know they are more vulnerable as a nation than they've ever been. When would they ever feel more need to depend upon the Lord and the Lord alone? God put them in a place where they could choose humility and dependence upon him because the battle always was his. It never belonged to them. And that's why the victory is certain. Now circumcision for them certainly is a part of what God's commanded them to do. But God wants them to be reminded of what circumcision means for them as a people. And, and God told his people back in Genesis chapter 17 with Abraham what circumcision was about. When he told Abraham, you, you need to be circumcised and all your descendants after you. And the reason was because God says, I want to mark my people in their flesh. So that they have a regular reminder they belong to me. And so when God tells his people here on the edge of the promised land, I want you to circumcise yourselves. He's saying to the people, I want you to have the mark of belonging to me on you before you experience the fulfillment of my promises. 
He's saying to his people, the future promises that I gave your fathers, they are about to become your present reality. But they are promises for my people and my people alone. So I'm going to mark you as my people. So here they are in humility and dependence, freshly marked as belonging to God. They are prepared. They are prepared. But this circumcision was also a prerequisite to the next step of preparation for the battle. The law of God tells the people of God, you can't participate in the memorial of Passover until you have been circumcised. So this is a prerequisite for the next preparation. So let's read about that in verse 10. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal, On the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. After they have walked through obediently following the Lord's command and circumcision, they then conduct Passover. The last time Passover had been experienced by God's people is when they were delivered from Egypt and they celebrated Passover for the very first time. Think about God's kindness here, that in their deliverance from Egypt, he gave them this gift of Passover and then he told them, when you come into the land, you are going to do Passover. And you're going to keep doing it every year the rest of your lives. Because I want your kids to ask the question, why are we doing Passover? And you can tell your kids about my great deliverance. He once again is emphasizing his concern for the next generations. His concern for the nations. Saying, I want you to talk about what I have done. And so here they are on the backside of going through the wilderness, on the edge of the promised land, and God creates this final bookmark of this season of wilderness wandering with the Passover, a celebration. The people have gathered together to celebrate God's deliverance. I think it's really fitting that they celebrated God's deliverance and victory before the battle was fought. As if, again, to recognize this battle is the Lord's. And because the battle is the Lord's, the battle has already been won. And they focus on God and they celebrate together who God is. And they align themselves with the Lord in complete trust, humility, and dependence. And they celebrate a victory that rests in the Lord. And after they do that, some significant things come out of that. Notice in verse 12. The day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Consider the fact that everybody has experienced eating Wheaties off the ground for 40 years. That's what they've been doing. And some of you may say, I think some of them were probably excited about no longer eating Wheaties off the ground. I still want you to keep in mind that when you've been experiencing the daily provision of God for 40 years, it's all you've ever known, and you wake up and it's not there, it's probably a little disconcerting. But the reason God stopped the manna is because he told them, when you get to the edge of the promised land, I'm going to give you the produce of the land you did not work for. 
They get to the edge of the promised land and they take some of the produce of the land and God stops the manna. Now, they've not taken any of the land. They certainly don't have enough provisions to last the entire nation for very long. They've got to take the land. It's just God is saying to them, listen, what I did the last 40 years was to get you to the place where you would stop depending on what I did yesterday and start depending on what I'm planning to do today. Because I want my future promises to become your present reality, but it requires you to say no to the manna of yesterday and yes to the promised land food of today. They had to be willing to change. And God had something far better for them. And the path to something far better always involves change. They've got to trust the Lord for the provision they need to go into the promised land. Look at the next significant thing that happens. Verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? I think that's a very reasonable question. Like if you see somebody standing there, this great warrior with sword drawn, I think it's very reasonable to say, are you with me or are you against me? Joshua asked that question, but I love the response of this person standing in front of Joshua. Look at this. He says, neither. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Joshua encounters this amazing warrior, a sword in hand. Are you with me or are you against me? And he says, neither. I want you to know I don't take a side, I am the side. So Joshua, the real question that needs to be answered in this moment is what are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? Are you on my side? Are you with me or am I against you? Joshua, what are you going to do? And look at Joshua's response. It's amazing. Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? Humility. Dependence. Lord, I'm your servant and I am listening. If you ever want a description of what it really means to follow the Lord, this is a beautiful picture of what it means to follow the Lord. Lord, I am bowed before you. I am seeking to worship you. I am your servant, and I'm listening to whatever it is you say. And whatever it is you command, I'm going to do it because you are my Lord. I am your servant. He is so ready to follow the command of the Lord. And the commander of the Lord's army says to him in that moment, remove the sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. Isn't that a cool picture? Joshua encounters the commander of the Lord's army. He gets down on his face before the the Lord's uh, commander. 
and he's there before him and he says, take off your shoes. And I can just see him reaching back and grabbing those shoes and throwing them off to the side. And he is right there, shoes, sandals off, knelt before the Lord. And never in his life has he been more ready to follow the Lord and lead the people to follow the Lord. Amazing. Let's just recap the story. All the warriors have been circumcised. Very unorthodox preparation for battle. They're all in the camp recovering. But what God has done, I know some of your kids are asking you parents right now, what in the world is he talking about? That'll be a great discussion for when you get home. Oh, that's so funny. Anyway, so that's what's happening. Right? And uh, the, 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 the entire nation, because of that, is moved to humility and dependence because of their vulnerability. But God's gone before them. He's terrified everybody around them so that no one's a threat to them and they can live out in dependence upon the Lord. And then he invites them into the celebration of victory before the battle ever happens because the battle belongs to the Lord and because it belongs to the Lord, the victory is theirs. And then they experience the manna stopping and so there's no retreat. There's no going back. The only way we're going to get what it is God has for us if we go forward. We cannot rely on all that's happened in the past. We have to rely on what's in front of us today. And then the leader of Israel is on his face with sandals off. I mean, this is a nation who's ready for the future promises of God to become their present reality. And when I see the story and what God is doing in Israel like that, it makes me respond to the Lord by saying, I want your future promises to be my present reality. I want your provision for me today to be so sufficient for today that I don't even think about what you provided yesterday. I want to experience you today for what I need in this day. Lord, I want to be exactly who you created me to be so that when I go into the land in which you've planted me, I become this memorial that people see and ask the question, why is that guy like this? And I get to tell them about Jesus. I want, Lord, you to make our church family, a church family full of people who want to experience only what you can accomplish, who believe that the battles in front of them every day are your battles. And because they're your battles, you've won them. And their preparation for the day's battles change. And what gets their energy and their effort and their emotion reflects that they believe that you've told them, my promises are for your present reality. The battle is mine, thus saith the Lord, and I'm with you. And because I'm with you, no one can stand against you. I want a church family who says we believe that we have been planted right here in Wilco because God wants us to keep on finding him and encouraging each other to find him so that we live right where we live in outposts all around our city so that other people see who Christ is in and through us. I mean, I want, I want those things. And God's calling us, just like he did with Passover, to create 
these activities, these rituals, these disciplines in the rhythms and seasons of our life. You remember the discipleship plan. That's why we're doing it. We're doing it because we want to be a church family who really becomes who God intended us to be and helping the people where we are find Christ. What this land cannot afford is a church family who believes they're in the land for themselves. This land cannot afford a church family that does not want to be who God created it to be. So I want you to think with me about what God is really doing in this story. And one of the best summaries of what God was really up to in bringing them to this point outside of Jericho is detailed in Deuteronomy chapter 30. There's one little verse there that gives explanation to everything we're reading. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. And the Lord tells his people back in Deuteronomy, this is years before this, that he's going to take them into the land. And then he tells them what he's been doing all along to get them into the land. And in verse 6 he says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul, so that you will live. We all want to live. I mean, that's what's resonating in my heart. I want the Lord to help me experience his future promises as my present. I want to be alive. I want to live right where I live knowing that I'm being who he created me to be. I want to experience the adventure of being God's people on mission to help other people find God right where I live. I want to live. And God tells his people, the way you live is when your heart is circumcised. So what God's been doing over these 40 years in the wilderness, they cross the Jordan, they come to the edge of Jericho, and he says, now you need to circumcise your flesh. What he's really doing is he's bringing them to the point where their hearts are fully circumcised. In other words, their hearts are right before the Lord so that they are fully dependent upon him and they know that no one and nothing else will get them the promises of God but God himself. And they've got to rely on. They were all physically circumcised, but that's not really what this is about. What this is about is having right hearts before God. You see, God's people would have never been able to go into the promised land whatsoever if their hearts were not right. God is less concerned with the performance of some ritual than he is with your heart. But oftentimes the demonstration of obedience through circumcision or Passover for these Israelites was the way they were displaying our hearts are right before God. I just want to ask you the question, how's your heart? How's your heart right now? You see, God cares about your heart so much. And he wants your heart to be right before him. He loves you. He cares about you. He does not want your heart to be distanced from him. He doesn't want your heart to be broken over sin or broken relationship. He wants your heart to be right. He wants to have your heart undivided, surrendered and dependent to him so that you're ready to do whatever he calls you to do. He wants your heart. One of the greatest gifts that we have 
is God's concern for our hearts. Because God just gives us every opportunity for us to come to Him and have Him do a work in our hearts so that our hearts are right before Him. This is the Lord's battle, and the victory's already won. He can secure our hearts. The question is, will we take the path of a right heart? And the path of a right heart has always been and will always be the path of humility and dependence. Upon Jesus Christ. And so I wonder, when's the last time that you carved out a little time in your week and you sat before the Lord and you said, Lord, I want to consider, I want to identify with my Passover lamb who is my life, who is my joy, who is my freedom who rolled away my disgrace. I want to identify with Jesus Christ in his death. And I want to think about the sins in my life that you have washed away by the blood of Christ. I want to think about how you have separated me from the disgrace of my sin and how you've placed on me the glory of Christ's righteousness. I want to identify with the death of Christ who has set me free from the disgrace of my slavery to sin. When's the last time that you set aside time to identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You know, God raised Jesus from the dead so that we would be certain that the future promises of God will become our present reality more and more the rest of our lives. If you sat before the Lord and just thought about how He wants to do work in you so that you experience a present reality of His future promises because of his provision in your life. I just want to encourage you to take that family discipleship plan and create some of these patterns, rituals as a family, as an individual that put you in a place for God to do a work in your heart. If you just put yourself in a place on a regular basis for God to do a work in your heart, he's going to do it. You know why he's going to do it? Because he cares more about your heart than you ever will. And if you just put yourself before him, he will do a work in your heart. Jesus actually refers to this in John chapter 6. It's a marvelous little story where some antagonists come to Jesus and say, Hey, what will you do for us so that we would believe in you? What sign are you going to do? And they reference the sign of the manna coming from heaven. And Jesus says to these interested party he said he said hey I want you to know that that the father sent the manna and that the father is sending real bread from heaven and the real bread from the father is the one whom he sent who has come to give life to the world you know what they responded they said hey we want to eat that bread all the time And Jesus said to them profound words. He said, I am that bread. 
And he who comes to me will never hunger again. And he who believes in me will never thirst again. Jesus Christ tells us that he is the bread from heaven. The manna in the wilderness for 40 years, that wasn't just about feeding the Israelites. It was about pointing to Jesus Christ and that someday God had a plan to feed our souls in a way that we would be satiated and never hunger and thirst again. And it was through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you take the time to set your life before the Lord and open his word and say, Lord, will you show me who you are? You're going to get to eat some bread from heaven. You're going to have the hunger of your soul satisfied because Jesus Christ wants you to know him. Christianity is not about getting information from the Bible. Christianity is about seeing Christ revealed in the Bible, feasting on him, so that in knowing him, we will follow him. We will not flourish as a people until we trust that the Lord has fresh food for today. You know, God knows what you're going to face today. He knows. And in this moment, he is offering up grace in the feast of knowing Christ so that you might encounter that battle that's coming today. Whatever that battle is living in this land, so that you might encounter that battle having recognized the commander of the Lord's army. He does not want us to be a people that depend on the manna of yesterday. He wants us to be a people who expect fresh grace today for today's battle in the land in which we live. Our land cannot afford a church family who is satisfied with yesterday's manna. Our land needs a church family who believes in today's provision of grace in the land in which we live. Do you, do you know what's going to happen when you spend time with the Lord? When you open God's word and you see Christ and you ask the question, why might God be showing this to me about himself today? When you do that on a regular basis, you know what's going to happen in your life? You're going to have those moments periodically where the Spirit of God just whispers in your heart, you are on holy ground. The Spirit of God resides in you. And every moment of your life is a moment you are on holy ground. And I have some sandals you need to take off. It may be an attitude that you have towards a coworker or a fellow student. 
It may be a problem you have in a relationship in your family. Or maybe you're at odds with your spouse and you've just not chosen to, to humble yourself and apologize and take the first step. Maybe it's some sin you've been harboring inside your life and you just think, you know, this is just the way it's going to be and it's not going to change. I'm just going to live with this sin. And, and God says in that moment of you finding him, hey, I want to remind you that when you are mine and I put my mark on you, the Holy Spirit, then you are living on holy ground and I've got some sandals you need to take off. I mean, can you imagine Joshua on his face before the Lord and the commander of the Lord's army says, take your sandals off. And Joshua says, oh, it's going to stink. I can't do that. No. What would he have lost if he had chosen not to take his sandals off to exhibit, I'm in the presence of the Lord. And yet sometimes I think we do that. We do that. The Lord is telling us, I want to work on this area of your life. You're like, no, I don't know if that's going to work out okay. Or no, that's too ugly. Or that's whatever. Listen, God wants you to experience his future promises becoming your present reality. And that simply will not happen until you're taking some sandals off. He's good that way. And he wants us to be a people. We're finding him again and again, his daily provision of grace for the battles in our land, experiencing the fact that we don't need to retreat or turn back because he's in front of us and the battle belongs to him. He is with us and he wants us to know him and be the people God created us to be. God's future promises become our present reality only by the path of humility and dependence. And I pray that what was said of Joshua will be said of our church family. And they did that. Because we got a mission field waiting for such a church family.